last week, last week, uh, well, two weeks ago, actually, we started a sermon series, New Deal, and last week I had a, like, a startling confession, kind of an embarrassing confession to tell all of you. Um, here's the confession that I made. I, sad to say, have been a part of every bad decision that I have ever made. It's true. I was there for everyone, for every single, I, I was an accomplice to every single foolish thing I've ever done. And the reason why um, we can chuckle at that is because I I'm, I'm, have a feeling I'm not alone. And if I don't know all your stories, but what I know is that you were there for every unwise decision you ever made. And the thing that would have saved us from some of those foolish decisions, from, the, from some of those unwise decision, decisions is, is this word right here. This thing that we're talking, we're taking the whole summer, we're talking about this word right here. Wisdom. Wisdom. How do I get wisdom? Because if you would have had wisdom, if I would have had more wisdom, then I perhaps wouldn't have gotten myself into as much trouble as I gotten myself, as I got myself into. And as we talked the last couple weeks, wisdom is so essential, so essential for us to have wisdom. Because what you know and I know and is, that, is that it's good for you to have morals. I hope you have morals. I hope you have a, a, you know, a compass there. And all of your decisions really are going to sort of flow out of, out of your morals. So morals are good. But, but... With all the decisions that you have to make every single day, you are going to bump up against so many decisions that aren't necessarily moral decisions. I was, talking to, uh, I was talking to a high schooler not too long ago, and the big question was, do I go to this college or this college next year, you know? And the, both, of those are, both of them are great colleges. You know, both of them are, you know, could be great environments. And there's no verse, you know, I wish, I wish we had, open up the Bible, chapter 12, Approved colleges, you know, for Christians. You know, I don't know. No, we don't have that verse. And so, you know, your morals aren't necessarily going to help you with that big decision of where to go to college. And it's a big decision. Not only that, not only your morals aren't that helpful with a lot of decisions we have to make, but your knowledge isn't that helpful because you might have all the knowledge. In fact, that high school kid knew everything about both of those universities. But still, it comes down to the question, which one do I go to? And we are confronted, so many of us, and most of the time with decisions that aren't right and wrong decisions necessarily. Some, when you bump into those decisions, then you, you, I, I would hope and you would hope that you would make the right decision. But so many of the decisions that we bump up against are questions like, hey, this is mostly right and this is mostly right. Like, this is wise and this is wise. And how do I make those decisions? Wisdom is so essential for us. It's essential for us because, unfortunately, many of us weren't taught wisdom growing up. That's sad for parents in the room. Hey, we want to be the kind of parents that teach our kids and show our kids and model for our kids and point our kids to wisdom. Don't we? We want to do that, parents. Um, but we have to recognize, too, that a lot of us maybe perhaps don't have wisdom in our lives or wish we had more because we weren't taught by our parents. We weren't shown what wisdom looks like. And so we often perish for lack of wisdom. And so we need wisdom. That's the big idea. Um, how do we get it? Well, the Bible has a lot to offer when it comes to wisdom. In particular, there's these, some of these books in the Old Testament. They're very ancient and they're very well-known books. It's the books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And in, it contained in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes is so much 
So much wisdom. But here's where the Bible is so different than, say, this. All right? The Bible is way different than one of these fortune cookies. Because here's what a fortune cookie is going to do for you. You're going to open up a fortune cookie. And what you're, what you're going to do is you're going to open it. And it's going to say something like, your courage will guide your future. Oh, that is so helpful, fortune cookie. You know, the fortune cookie is here. And it's going to give you little nuggets of wisdom. Okay, little nuggets. And on first reading, when you read the Bible, when you read Proverbs... You're going to get all, you're going to, it's going to seem at first glance that there's all these nuggets of wisdom. And it's just giving me some nuggets of wisdom. But the Bible is so different than this. Because the Bible isn't interested in just giving you nuggets of wisdom. The Bible is more interested in making you someone who is wise. See, that's different. That's different. Because I can have all sorts of nuggets of wisdom and not be a wise person. In fact, you know people who have lots of wisdom and they offer it freely to you all the time. Um, But you look at them and you're like, man, I don't know if they're a wise person. So the Bible, when we read Proverbs, is it's not just a list of, here, here's some pithy statements. Here's just some stuff for, you know, for you to just tuck away. No, no, no. It's got much bigger plans than that. The book of Proverbs in Ecclesiastes are there to try to develop wisdom in us so much so that we become the kind of people that make wise decisions. And that starts in the heart. So um, the, the question that, you know, even if you're not a Bible person or even if you're here this morning and you're like, I don't even know if I'm a, I don't know if I'm a Christian. Um, think about this question. This is the question that, that, uh, that I want us to just think about is don't you want to be a wise person? Don't you want to be a wise person? I've never met anybody that said, I want to be a foolish per- person, pastor. No, we all want to be a wise. Don't you want to be wise? And all of our heads would say, yeah, we want to be wise. Well, then why not take a minute and, or why not join our church as we go through this summer and look at wisdom and how we get it. So today is, um, we need to look at where wisdom starts. We need to look at where wisdom begins. How do you get wisdom? Because you got to start somewhere. Last week we talked about how wisdom is more like a path than a door. You don't just walk through and, you know, and then you're wise. It's a path. But the path starts somewhere. So where does wisdom start? So this is the question. What is the beginning of wisdom? What's the beginning of wisdom? We, could in, we can insert lots of different stuff in here. Our culture would probably insert lots of different words in there. Uh, maybe a common word that we could insert in here is college is the beginning of wisdom, perhaps. Although for some of you, it's the opposite, right? College was the beginning of foolishness for you. I don't know. I don't know. We could just, our culture, you know, if we had time today, we could say, you know, what is the beginning of wisdom? And, you know, knowledge, we would say, perhaps, is the beginning of wisdom. But we've already said knowledge isn't the same as wisdom. There is knowledge in wisdom, but wisdom is more than that. So what's the beginning of wisdom? Where the Bible comes in and says something surprising. The Bible comes in and says something that you and I wouldn't expect. In fact, um, you know, if people were writing the Bible, you know, if, if, if the common idea of like how the Bible, sometimes if you've got a college professor and you're like, you believe the Bible, oh my gosh, that was just written by people. It was written by a patriarchal society, you know, people just wanted to be in control. And if, if, if people had, you know, written the Bible just themselves, then, you know, they probably would have, we probably would be reading a proverb that says, that says, um, you know, you want to be wise? Obey the man. 
you know, or something like that. You want to be wise? Oh, you know, the fear of man is the beginning of wisdom. But the Bible comes in and says something completely different, something that we didn't come up with, something that's hard to grapple our minds around. If you've been around church for a, for a while, you've heard what it is, you know what it is, but here's what it is. Here's what the Bible says at the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, as I was studying this this week and looking at it, um, I, I re, you know, you start to realize, and I knew this already, but you start to see that this is not just a theme in all of scripture, but it's a mega theme. It is from beginning to the end. Um, the Bible mentions the fear of the Lord or the fear of God um, uh, more than a more than hundred times all throughout the scripture. And it's a mega theme. And so, you know, I thought I'd be a wise pastor uh, and I would turn this sermon into two sermons, okay? So, hey, uh, this week we're going to just scratch the surface on what does it mean to fear the Lord? And then next week we'll sort of drive it home and finish it up. Um, But here's here's what I want you to see, first of all, is um, I want to read you a couple passages of Scripture. Like I said, there's over a hundred. I'm just going to read you just a few. I want you to see how important this is. The fear of the Lord. Listen to this. This is from Proverbs chapter 9, starting in verse 7. It says this. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults, but whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. So, you know, it says, hey, if you, if you, get, if you mix it up with somebody who's unwise, foolish, then and it's just going to go, it's not going to go well for anyone. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. But rebuke the wise and they will love you because wise people are okay with being corrected. Wise people are okay with being rebuked. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the, right, teach the, righteousness, uh, uh, teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. And then it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Here's what it says in Proverbs 23, 17. It says this, Do not, uh, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. All day long you should fear the Lord, Proverbs 23 says. Um, these are David. You know, King David was a really famous king in, 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 in Israel. Um, the, the most famous, he's, you know, he's King David. Even if you're not sort of a Christian or a church person, you've heard of King David before. These are David's last words. His last words right before he dies is recorded in 2 Samuel 23. He says this. He's got a room of people there. People are gathered around him. He's whispering. These are his last words. He says, when one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. David takes his last breath to say, hey, as you continue to lead, would you please lead in the fear of the Lord? Uh, Job, another book in the Old Testament. Um, it's sort of the strange beginning where, where it's like this, you know, God and Satan are having this conversation and Satan's like, hey, point out like the best guy you got because I'm gonna trip him up. And God says, oh, I've got a guy. His name's Job. Let me tell you about Job. Here's what he says about Job. Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. God says, Job is the the best guy I got. He's he's the best. I guess there's somebody always, there's usually somebody is 
at, at any point in time in human history is, is the best. Somebody's got to be the best. And, and, Jesus, or, and God says, Job, he is the best. He's the best. Why? Because he fears me. Because he fears me. Um, Ecclesiastes. This is the very last verse of Ecclesiastes. We'll spend more time in Ecclesiastes later this summer. But here's the last verse of Ecclesiastes. He says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. You ready? The, the author of Ecclesiastes says, I've said a whole bunch of stuff. I've said 12 chapters worth of stuff. But here's how I just want to boil it all down. Here's like the, the bottom line, bottom line, bottom line. Here it is. Here's the end of the matter. Here's the conclusion of the matter. He says this, fear God. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. <clears throat> it says fear God. It's a mega theme. Um, why this is so important is because you'll notice that what God isn't after f- solely is just our obedience. He's not just after our obedience. He wants our obedience to be fueled by our, our fear of God. And the reason why we know that is because all tons of times in the Old Testament, there's plenty of people who, around who are obeying him, but God looks, God looks at them and says, guys, your obedience is a stench in my nostrils. Your obedience means nothing to me. Your obedience, sure, you, you've got obedience, but you don't fear me. You don't fear me. God's after our fear of him. Now, listen, we might say, perhaps rightfully so, you know, we might say, well, that seems sort of arrogant of a God to say, thou shalt fear me, you know? Aren't some of the most disrespectable people around the people who demand other people's respect? Isn't that true? And it seems like, I'm first reading, it seems like here's this God who's like, I want to wear the pants. I want everyone to think I'm great. So fear me. You must fear me. I'm going to make sure that you fear me, you know, so we can like boost his ego or something. You know, what's going on here? What is God doing when he says, fear me? Listen, listen, listen. What God is doing when he says, fear me, is he's perhaps saying the most loving thing that he could say to us. What he's doing in these moments is he's being a good friend. He's being a good father. He's he's being a, a good king, a good ruler. He's saying, listen, listen, this is how the world works. When I get glory, you get joy. That's how it works. Please trust me. Fear me. Fear me. Let me be at the top. Let me be in charge of the world. Let me be in charge of your life. And things will work as they should. But don't fear me, and it, will go, and it won't go well for you. Things will break down. You will break down. Life just breaks down when I am not feared. God, in this moment, when he says, fear me, he's being very, very, very loving, loving to us. Um, so this week, I want to just talk about two things. I want to talk about how the fear of the Lord is awe-inspiring and how the fear of the Lord is humbling. And then next week, I want to talk about how the fear of the Lord is telling and how the fear of the Lord is reordering, okay? This week is awe-inspiring. The fear of the Lord is awe-inspiring and humbling. First of all, the fear of the Lord is awe-inspiring. The problem with the word fear is we don't use the word fear like the Bible is using the word fear. When we think of the word fear, we think of being afraid, we think, of, we think of trembling in our boots. You know, we, we get this feeling that fear is, is being afraid of being hurt. That's when, that's when we use the word fear. But when the scripture is using the word fear, it means, it means more than that. 
All right, it means more than just being afraid. I remember, um, this is a great camp story because we have some kids at camp. Um, Jeannie Barr isn't here this morning, but Jeannie was a children's pastor at Eugene Faith Center for lots of years. And as a college kid, I got to go up to Camp Crestview. It's up um, near, near uh, Portland. And I got to be a camp counselor for a bunch of different summer camps. So fun. And I remember one specific camp. It was a kid's camp. So it was like, you know, fifth grade and under. And the theme of the camp was mountain climbing. I don't remember the name of the theme, but it was like the stage was all decked out. Like what they had on the stage, just picture the stage here, is they had like mountains made out of, you know, paper mache or something. And then what they had is they had two dummies. They had these, they got these, these fake dummies and they put them in harnesses and put them in like rock climbing gear. And they had them sort of like looking like they were climbing up the walls. There was one on the right uh, and one on the left. And they were just hanging up there like they were climbing the mountain. The kids come in and they're like, oh, this is such a cool thing. And, you know, um, and the, all week long, that was the theme and the stage ne- was the same. And I was sitting in there with one of the other cabin leaders halfway through the week, maybe on Thursday. And I was looking at those dummies and I was like, wouldn't it be cool if I got dressed up exactly like one of those dummies and I climb up and I replace myself with the dummy and hold still the, like the whole, like the, the whole time, and they won't even know. And then at some point, like during the sermon, I'll like move and like belay down, and they'll think it's the coolest thing ever. Like they will just, they'll think, they'll never forget this, this summer camp ever. And so I get dressed up, and I take the dummy down, wear what he's wearing. I get up there, and I didn't know what I was getting myself into because it's hard to stay still on the side of a wall for like 45 minutes, right? But I was committed, all right? I want this to be an experience for these kids. And so I'm, I'm attached to the wall and I just haven't moved the whole time. They've done worship, they did announcements, you know, they've done all this stuff. And now it's time for the speaker to start getting into the, you know, to, into the talk. And I'm up there and we had this cue. I can't remember what the cue was. But then I, it, my, finally my moment came. And so I just swing out from the wall and I just like slide down on the rope like Indiana Jones. And you expect that there's going to be applause and cheer and, you know, like, that was amazing. This is the best camp ever. And, but what we got were screaming and tears. <laughs> like, not just a little screaming and tears. We had kids that had to be removed from the, 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 the room. They were, they were terrified. They were so scared. Yay! Oh! Everybody's screaming and crying, and we just had to end service short, and, and you know, and like, and that was the last thing of camp that week, because we wanted it to be the climax, and that's how camp ended. Scared, fear. That's usually what we think of when we think of fear. When we use the word fear, is people being afraid. Um, but that isn't necessarily what the scripture is saying. Listen to, I got just, listen to this. This is from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Listen to this. Listen to what it says about fear. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? Wait a minute. I understand obedience. Like if you fear someone, you know, you're going you're gonna to sort of, you're going to obey them because you don't want to get hurt. But what kind of fear inspires love? What kind of fear inspires serving? What kind of fear inspires the kind of love and serving that you do with your whole heart? 
Oh, it's a different kind of fear. It's not like an afraid fear. Listen to this. This is Psalm 130. Psalm 130 says this. Lord, if you keep a record of our sins, oh, oh, Lord, um, or who, oh, Lord, could ever survive? Listen. But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. Wait. There's a kind of fear that... There's this kind of, there's, when you see forgiveness, it's, when you see grace, when you see his love, it, ins, it inspires fear in us. It's supposed to make fear grow in us. What kind of fear grows when you see something beautiful and good? The Bible's talking about this kind of fear when it comes to fearing God. The best example I have um, that I was thinking of is, I want you to picture this. I want you to picture, this is my guitar, all right? Um, my dad purchased this guitar in 1969. It's been in our family for a long time. I don't know how much it's worth, but you know what I could do is I could, I could take this guitar to this show called Antiques Roadshow. Have you ever heard of this show, Antiques Roadshow? People bring stuff that they find in their house and take it to these experts, and the experts look at it and say, oh, yeah, it's a piece of junk. Or they look at some of these things and they say, you know what, that's actually worth a lot of money. And some people have taken their stuff to Antiques Roadshow and they're like, yeah, this painting is behind a door in my dad's house for decades. And the, the person looks at it and says, oh yeah, that's actually a very famous piece. It's a lost piece and it's worth about $2 million. What if I took this guitar to Antiques Roadshow and they looked at it and they said, oh, you have no idea what you have here. Not only is this an old guitar, but do you know who, the, you can see the inscription in here. You can, you can see, you know, it's got, this guitar was owned by, you know, just fill in the blank. This was, a, this was Johnny Cash's guitar, you know, or this was Paul McCartney's guitar, you know. And you can see that it's actually a, a unique piece and it was the only one made. And then they dropped the amount of money that it could sell at auction. Hey, this is actually worth $5 million, this guitar that you have here. Now, imagine what that would cause in me if I were to find out that this guitar was worth $5 million. Fear, <laughs> terror, but a good kind of fear and terror, right? I mean, it would change every, I mean, I, I, I treat this nice, but I mean, I don't like oil it up like I should, you know? I don't, you know, do all the things that I'm supposed to do with a guitar, and you know, and I play it around, but you know, if I were to find that this is worth $5 million, I would treat this different. I wouldn't let any of you get near it. I, you know, I would, it would I, and I would tell everyone about it. I would be pumping gas, and I don't care who's next to me. I'd be like, guess what I have? Guess what I discovered? I mean, it would change. It would change how I interact with this guitar. I would be filled with a holy awe and fear of losing this guitar, of something happening to it. I'm going to treat it with this newfound honor and respect and joy because look at what I have. That's what the fear of God is talking about. Hey, new parents, when you brought your first kid home from the hospital, fear, terror, joy, love. See, this is the kind of fear that inspires love. I mean, you're so careful because this is the most precious thing. And you've got it. They're yours. And so you just, you've got this fear. This is the kind of fear that God says, listen, this is the kind of fear I want you to have of me. 
It's an awe-inspiring fear. It's not an afraid kind of a fear. It's a look at who we have as a king and as a savior. Look at what he did for me on the cross. Look at how he pursued me. Look at his faithfulness even in the midst of my unfaithfulness. This is a God has to be feared. And he loves me. And he cares about me. I don't want to take that for granted. I don't want to lose that. I don't want to you know, rub my sin in, a, in, a, in the face of a God who just freely gives grace. Why would I want to do that? I want to obey. My love grows. Do you see the kind of fear that we get to have? That God says, please have this of me. Of me. It's an awe-inspiring fear. Next is this. That's number one. It's an awe-inspiring fear. But next is the fear of the Lord is humbling. The fear of the Lord is humbling. Now, I, I know I just said, I know I just went through this whole illustration about how the fear of God isn't like an afraid kind of fear. You know, it's an awe-inspiring fear. But listen, the fear of God also is the kind of fear, if we really have it, then it humbles us. You know why it humbles us? It humbles us because we... I'll sit down for this. I really want you to hear me on this. Is we are definitely in a climate and in a season in, in the United States where most of the sermons that get preached, at least in like our context, my con- I don't know what church you grew up in. Maybe it was Hellfire and Brimstone, or I'm sorry for that because every sermon shouldn't be like that. But you know what I try to do with most of my sermons? I try to, you know, bring the walls down. I try to help people, try to go around people's objections. And, and I, you know, you don't want to talk about things that are, like arresting or sharp edges, you know, because I, we don't want anyone to, to leave and misunderstand what we're talking about. But every once in a while, we need a sermon that scares us. Every once in a while, we need a sermon that scares us because it's, there's a kind of fear that's a healthy kind of fear, like the afraid kind of fear. Isn't it true? It, it's, it's right for you to be scared of bears, okay? It's, there's a healthy kind of fear about bears. There should be a healthy kind of fear about great white sharks. There should be a healthy fear that we have of clowns. There should be a healthy fear that we have. There's a lot of healthy kinds of fears, right? There, you know, I want my kids to have a healthy kind of fear of the street, right? I do. I want my kids to have a healthy kind of fear when it comes to big bodies of moving water. You know, I want my, I want my kids to have a healthy fear of the ocean because it's beautiful and it's lovely, but it's dangerous. And so it's important that we come to a place where we have a healthy kind of a fear, where we know that it's his, the fear of God is, is supposed to be an awe-inspiring. He loves us, but he is God and you are not. He holds the universe, the cosmos together. He makes it all function just with his little pinky, and how dare any of us treat him like a servant or like a butler or like a consultant? Do you know what you do with consultants? You pay them, and then you don't listen to anything they say. And we often treat God like a consultant. We'll come to church, you know, God, and you hear some stuff, but I'm not actually going to, like, do any of that. I don't know if I'm going to apply that. It seems kind of other people around aren't really doing that, so why would I do that? And so, you know, thanks, God. You know, 
We, could, we so easily slip into that. I easily slip into that. So we need to be reminded, he is big. He is powerful. C.S. Lewis got it so right when he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia when he made Aslan a lion. Because when you read the Chronicles of Narnia, those kids get up close to the lion and they are so happy to see him because they know they're safe. But then they realize when they're near him, oh, they're not safe. He's a lion. He can... One of the best places to look at um, is the book of Job for this. I love this. At the very end of Job, there's been this whole conversation about why Job has suffered. And really, when it gets to the end of the book, here's just a, you know, I'll, I'll spoil the ending for you. The, the book of Job doesn't really give, God doesn't really give answers that Job is asking for. He doesn't give the reasons why Job suffered the way that he did. All that happens at the end of the book of Job is God shows up and talks to Job <laughs> And says, hey, Job, I'm going to ask you some questions. Here's, here's what it says, because to me, it's, it's sort of hilarious. What he says in Job 38, this is God talking to Job. He says, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Hey, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Um... Verse 12 says, have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? And this is just chapters of God asking questions to Job. Like, hey, Job, there's this one part where it says, hey, do, you, um, do the thunderbolts um, report to you? Like, do you give assignments to the thunderbolt? Oh, no? Oh, okay. Um, you know, do you understand how the ocean works? No, you don't, do you? I love this part. This one's my favorite. Verse 19, he says, where does light come from and where does darkness go? Can you take each to its home? Do you know how to get there? But of course you know all this. This is God getting cheeky now. This is funny. But of course you know all this. For you were born before it was all created, and you are so very experienced. Job, Job, Job. Listen, you got to trust me, because you know what, Job? I am God, and you are not. And so... We've got this, these two kinds of fear. Um, what do we do with all that? Well, um, here's, here's just the takeaway for us today um, is these two things. First, let the fear of God humble you. It's just I want you to take away these two, these two things today. First, I want you to let the fear of God humble you today. I want you to let it humble you. Um, it means that there's a healthy amount of fear that we get to have when it comes to God. You know what kind of fear it's like? Is, is we've been told this lie. We, many of us believe this lie. And it's the same lie that was told to Adam and Eve in the garden at the very beginning. You don't need to trust God. You can be your own God. You don't need him to tell you what's right and wrong. You're smart enough to figure that out on your own. In fact, if you obey him, if you submit to him, then you'll lose your freedom. You won't be free anymore and your life will be lame. Your life will not be fun if you follow Jesus. That was the lie that they were given, and they believed him. And it's the same lie that we believe today. And some of us are here today, and you believe this lie today. You believe that you are better at being God than God is better at being God. That you are better at understanding what's right and wrong than God is at understanding what's right and wrong. That in a sense that we often are playing God. We're very bad at it, but we do it often. We play God. And so the kind of fear that needs to get instilled in all of us today is the same kind of fear that 
You know, if you were going to impersonate a police officer, you would feel pretty tough for a little bit. If you had a police car and the outfit, right, and maybe like a fake gun, you could, you could fool a lot of people. Um, and you could feel really braggadocious about it too, right? I mean, you just pull people over and then after they pull over, just like drive away, you know? <laughs> you can just feel like you're amazing when, you, when you're dressed up as a police officer. And maybe you have a lot of, you know, maybe you, have, you feel like you've got confidence. But you know what? That all melts away when a real police officer starts walking in your direction. When the real police officer starts coming in your direction, you're exposed. You're found out. You realize you're not as big as you thought you were. And so for all of us today, we need to, we need our hearts to remember that I'm not God. And that what, why do I push him off sometimes when he tries to get close? Why am I pushing back? Is it because that, is it because that I feel like I want to be God? And, when he, and, he's, and he, he sort of threatens that in a way. Do you, if you ever feel that in you, just know you need to grow in the fear of the Lord. You need to grow in the fear of the Lord. So let the fear of the Lord humble us today. And then, um, then lastly is this, is let the fear of the Lord motivate us. Let the awe-inspiring fear of the Lord motivate you. All these scriptures that I read, the word obedience was in there. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then there's one that said, you know, fear me, obey me. How do you obey God? How do you obey him? Here's the thing is he doesn't just want your begrudging obedience. Listen, he doesn't want your begrudging obedience. He doesn't need people who are just like, oh, fine, I'll obey him or I'm going to hell. Fine, I'll just do what he says because, you know, I'm better. That's not the kind of hearts that he wants. He doesn't need that kind of obedience from us. We have a God that says, listen, I, I want your obedience to be joyful. I want your obedience to be life-giving. I want your obedience to be, to be amazing and fun. And it, following God is, obeying God is fun, is life-giving, is actually freedom-giving, not freedom usurping. When you have the fear of God at the source of your obedience, when you let the fear of God motivate your obedience, it becomes a beautiful kind of obedience and it becomes a beautiful kind of fear. And that's when you actually know that you're a Christian instead of just a religious person. Religious people just obey because I'm supposed to. Christians obey because how could I not? What could I say? What could I do? But offer this heart, Lord, completely to you. The way you get that fear is you see a God who came and gave his life for you. The way you get that fear is you see a God who was smashed for us. When I should have been smashed, when you should have been smashed, when our sin pushes us into the ground, Jesus went into the ground for us and came up alive. Listen, until you see a God doing that, you will not have the fear of God in you. It won't grow in you. You gotta see Jesus alive, serving you, loving you. That will be the thing that melts your heart. That will be the thing that will be the beginning of wisdom because you'll have the beginning of the fear of the Lord.